and his truth. It's good to see each of you here in the land of the living. I'd much rather see you than view you. Not everyone made it through last night. But I'm glad that you're here. Don't take it for granted that every time you close your eyes that you're going to open them again. As a matter of fact, because tomorrow is not promised to us, we ought to live in today. We ought to love in today. We ought to celebrate in today. We ought to be a blessing to those that are a blessing to us in today. We spend a lot of time angry, frustrated, mad at the ones that are closest to us rather than taking the opportunity to just love them even if they're not everything you want them to be because you have no idea if the last word you utter is going to be one born out of anger or out of the love that you have for them. And the only way to assure that your last words, your last act are always born out of love is to never do anything that's not motivated by love. Amen? Amen? As the pastor of this church, it's my responsibility to be aware. I tell other ministers this as well. It's important that we are aware of the world in which we live in. We cannot bury our heads in the sand. We cannot act as if we are somehow isolated from the society in which we live, but we must pay attention to everything that is going on around us. The Bible declares that we are ambassadors in a foreign land. In other words, this is not our home. We have a home that has been built for us, and soon our Lord is coming to take us back. It'll be the last move we ever make. But while we are here, it is important that we stay involved in the happenings in our society. We can't pretend like it doesn't matter to us, because it does. It has an influence and an effect on each of us as individuals, on our families, on our jobs, and even on the church. So it's important that we remain engaged because you may be the only God influence in any and every circumstance that touches your life. And if you are out of place and not there to establish the influence of God in any given situation, then you miss the opportunity for things to work out in your good. Yes, sir. Amen? Yes, sir. So I often, I look at Facebook and I often 
um, look at the different quotes and things that people are saying and you know that sometimes I respond on Facebook directly to members of the church. Sometimes my wife will respond to members of the church directly on things that they do and say that are not befitting a child of God or the example of Christ. And other times there are things that are promoted under the guise of Christ that are just biblically, spiritually, ethically wrong. And it's my job, it's my duty, it's the calling and the anointing on my life to ensure that everyone under the sound of my voice is able to understand when the enemy is speaking and when things that people who profess Christ say things that are not in line with God's word. Let me read this text for you before I get into my sermon today. It's out of the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I'm going to start at the 11th verse. You don't have to stand. The Bible declares, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do this? Well, the scripture says, for the perfecting of the saints. Who are the saints? For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Its purpose, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You have been given people who fulfill these positions or offices to help you perfect yourself to the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God and that you might operate in the fullness of that knowledge. It goes on and says that we henceforth, now here's what must be, it's very important. That we henceforth be no more children, and here it comes, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Let me read that again. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The enemy uses anyone that he can to disrupt the truth of Christ. 
Now, most of the, the older saints in the body of Christ, those my age and older, around my age and older, are pretty set in their ways when it comes to the knowledge of Christ. Our belief in Jesus, the work of salvation, the call of God, the healing power of God, the grace of God. But there are a group that we in this life refer to as millennials. And millennials reject traditional church. Even uh, the millennials that are growing up or have grown up in a house that celebrates God the way that we do, they're pulled by their counterparts into a different way of thinking. Now, the millennials are the church of tomorrow. Now, you know that I firmly believe God did not send Jesus to establish religion, but to restore relationship. It was never God's intention that you function the way you do in honor to him because you're trying to dot I's and cross T's of some religious code or instructional guideline. As a matter of fact, prior to the knowledge of Christ, the people of humanity were given the Ten Commandments, which were laws. And it was the instruction that man ought to follow laws to show themselves right in the sight of God. This was done on purpose by God so that man would see and understand that he and she cannot follow law. As best as you try, there is something that you do that violates the law. So man can't do it himself. Man needs help. So God, by his grace, sends us Jesus so that we might be restored in right relationship with him, that everything that we do that would be a violation of God's law would be consumed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there is a Baptist theologian who is out now and... I've been seeing this repeatedly on Facebook. Several other men of God and women of God that I know believed one way but have shifted in their thinking. In violation of the scripture that I read, they were tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But we seem to always listen when the title theologian precedes or comes after someone's name because they're supposed to be a devout studier of the Word of God and should henceforth then have some knowledge that maybe we do not have. So we take to heart the things that they say. Uh, we find that people oftentimes, because they're struggling with the love of God, the grace of God, and the judgment of God. 
that they cannot reconcile that a loving God would send anyone that he loves to hell. So in the logic of man, man tries to do away with hell itself. And this particular theologian has written a book, and I'm not going to promote its title or his name, but it's important that I combat his theology. Just in case any of you have read it or taken time out, especially the younger who are seeking knowledge. This is why I often tell people you can't just read everything because if you do not have the knowledge of God's word, it becomes easy for you to become distracted by things that sound true, but are far from the truth. The Bible gives it a phrase like this, deceiving based on truth. The whole purpose is to deceive you. And this Theologian wants you to believe that there is no heaven and then there is no hell. And he attempts to get you to understand this and he's, his focus and his attention is on the millennials because there is already a propensity within the millennial culture to not buy into traditional church or traditional church doctrine because they connect doctrine to religion, when doctrine simply is what it is you stand for or what it is you believe. But the purpose of doctrine is to lead you back into a place of having the understanding that God has restored you in right relationship. But the, the push of them to cause you to believe not the truth is to satisfy man's insatiable desire to satisfy himself. And the first thing that man wants to do to satisfy himself is to find himself not accountable for anything that he has done. And because now I am not accountable for the things that I have done because a loving God would never send his children to hell or his creation to hell then I can live as I choose to live at the end of the day the idea is to promote man and man's way as God and God and God's way as less than out of touch with our culture. But we as the people of God have to be on guard that we are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine just because somebody says something that comes out of the word of God but they corrupt it with their own knowledge. We have to understand people of God that if your knowledge and God's knowledge align themselves then the word of God is a lie. Because God declares his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. 
His wisdom confounds the minds of the most wise of mankind. So when you find yourself in a place where you have now arose to the same wisdom and logical understanding as the creator himself, it just ought to be a red flag that you are so far away from the truth that you are lost. It's easy to take things out of context and put them into a context that makes things sound right and work right for you. But I'm here today to tell you that the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. While I strongly believe that there are things we've done in our tradition that are unnecessary and not biblically uh, sound, they are things that were uh, created to drive you closer to God in the limited understanding that they had in that day. But as God has continued to mature us, what does the Bible declare? It says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted like a child, I did childish things. But there comes a point when you grow up, and the expectation is, is that in your maturity, you do not continue to do the things of your adolescence. Uh, there comes a point in time when you are going to be held accountable, where life is going to interact with you differently in your adulthood than it does in your adolescence. You're expected to make mistakes in your adolescence. You're expected to act as a child in your adolescence. But as you grow in maturity, there comes a point in time where you are held accountable for your behavior, for your thoughts, for your actions, for the way you interact with life itself. And we have to begin to understand this, and when we hear things that are contrary to the truth, first recognize them because we have an intimate relationship with God, and we have the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us to instruct us in the ways of God that we might temper ourselves with God's instruction rather than the instruction of man. God sends apostles, prophets, teachers, preachers, into your life so that you might have direction to him. Oftentimes when we go and talk to these men and women of God who have been called by God to speak into our life truth, we listen to the truth only when the truth is either convenient for us or when the truth allows us to get what we want. But the moment that what is spoken is contrary to our desire, we reject the truth in our heart while on the surface we give the similitude that we have received what has been said, yet our behavior is a reflection of the heart and not the mouth. The Bible actually declares it is out of the mouth that the heart speaks. Uh, many of us don't have a mouth problem, we have a heart problem. Many of us find ourselves saying things 
And we want to say it's because of this uncontrolled bit uh, in our mouth called the tongue, this undisciplined, foul thing that utters such adversity. We want to blame the tongue when in actuality the issue is not the tongue because the tongue is just reflecting the corruptness in your heart. If you want to fix the tongue, you have to fix the heart. If you want to fix the heart, you need to be in right relationship with God in your understanding. While God has done everything necessary to allow you to be in right relationship with him, you also have a part to play. The idea that's being propagated by the theologies being produced in today's society is that because God sent his son, which he did, to lay his life down for all mankind, which he did, shedding his blood to wash the sins away, every sin, past, present, and future, which he did, that you don't have a responsibility to connect yourself with what he's done. That just because he did it, you're good to go. So it doesn't matter what you do, because it's already been covered in the blood of the Lamb. You don't even really have to acknowledge God. Because God's desire, as the Word declares, is that no man should perish. That's the desire of God. The desire of God is that no man should perish. My desire is to be wealthy. Because my desire is to be wealthy, does that mean I'm going to be wealthy? I may do the things that I think are necessary to obtain wealth, but just because I have a desire of wealth does not mean I'm going to be wealthy. Just because God has a desire that all should not perish, but enjoy the gift of life through Christ Jesus, does not mean everyone is going to enjoy the gift of life or that no one is going to perish that somehow all of us are going to make it to heaven or to where God is if we deny the name heaven it's important that we understand that that is nonsense saints of God hell is real Hell is a real, legitimate, biblically identified place. Hell was created for the fallen angels. It is going to be their place of torment. But because of the depravity of human nature and man's desire by choice to reject the love of God, Hell has enlarged itself. You don't grow because there's no need of growth. You grow because at your current state, there's no room left for those that are coming. So hell enlarges itself because more than the angels are going to be imprisoned there. 
this theologian surmises that no one preaches anymore about hell, even the church. And while I agree that many of my colleagues and contemporaries refrain from preaching anything that causes you to really take assessment of your life and become accountable for your behavior, to say that hell is not preached is a fallacy. Because I know for sure I preach it. Because hell is a place I do not want to go. Hell is a place I don't want any of you to go. And if you decide by your own decision to end up there because you have rejected what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said, then that issue is yours and yours alone to bear. But you will not be able to say that you came to Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center and that your pastor never told you that there was such a place or there was a way to arrive there. People of God, you have to make a conscious decision to live a life that is pleasing to God, not because you're following religious ritual, but because you simply love God. The desire of God is that you reflect him in every way. And the only way to do that is by responding to his love for you with love for him. And when you love him, there are things that you would do and there are things that you would not do. I don't care who you were before your knowledge of Christ. If you find yourself continuing in a pattern of behavior that represents who you used to be, rather than growing in maturity in your walk with God, you have a heart problem, and the heart problem is your lack of real love for God. We have to understand, people of God, that there are several types and levels of love. Matter of fact, we use that word very uh, flippantly. We say we love a lot of things. I'm sure throughout your life you've loved different people. Some has been intimate love. Some has been just relational love. Some has been familial love. Some has been friendly love. Some has just been infatuation. You were just really captivated by... Uh, this person, turn me down a little bit, by this person or this thing, it's caught your attention for the moment, but it's not a ride or die love. It's not a you and I for life love. It's just for a season love. And many of us are experiencing that right now. We're living in a season of love 
demonstrated by our unfaithfulness to God. Whether it be in our lack of time given to him, because many of us, that's good, many of us would not appreciate the time and attention that we give God if the person that says they love us gave us that kind of time and attention. Matter of fact, many of us would have a problem or an issue because many of us don't take time to speak to God. Many preachers, and I often tell preachers this, all the preachers here can uh, testify if I'm telling the truth. Sometimes God wants you to go to the Word of God not because He's preparing you to preach, but because He's trying to have a relationship with you. Not everything that God tells you, not everything that God gives you in His Word, not every revelatory thing that God declares into your spirit is for the people. Some of it is just for you. <laughs> so it becomes very important that we have a relationship with God that is greater than our relationship with everything else. But we find that life is so busy, God gets the scraps. And if you eat like we eat, there often ain't too many scraps left. Even the buzzards will get mad when you leave the table because you've left nothing for them to pluck. But we have to understand, people of God, that we're living in a time that's driving us away from the knowledge of God and uh, attempting to get us to live in a manner that celebrates man and removes God from our lives. And we have to be first on guard. We have to be filled with the Spirit of God that he might instruct us and warn us in these times. A week ago, not last week, but the week before, we started talking about our relationship with God and how our relationship and walk with God is connected to our wellness. We left off talking about the Spirit of God in us bearing witness or testifying of who it is that we are or who it is we're supposed to be if we're being real with ourselves. Most of us are fooling ourselves. We think and act like we're on one level while, truth be told, we're on a completely different level. We're governed by our emotions, not governed by the Spirit of God. When you respond to life from an emotional state of being, more often than from a spiritual state of being, you'll find that your God is your emotions and not God. Because to whom you yield your members as instruments is whom you serve. Whoever you allow your instruments, that's your body, to reflect is who is your master. Now, am I saying that your relationship with God removes the human condition? No, because if it did, there'd be no necessity 
for this corruptible to put on incorruption, this mortal to put on immortality. So what I'm saying is, yes, in life you will have those moments when you are in struggle or warring with yourself. Paul himself said that he was warring in his mind. There was another law, another logic, another theology making war with the knowledge, the theology of God. That's his humanity. Yet Paul pushed or pressed always toward Christ so that he would reflect Christ in all things. Then Paul tells us that the Spirit of God has been released into our life. Because the flesh is depravity and rejects God and cannot be in unity with God, it, it is contradictory to God, it wants nothing to do with God, your flesh can never be saved. Your flesh is from the earth, and to the earth it shall return. The Spirit of God still comes on inside of man to bear record. What is it that the Spirit of God is testifying to? It is testifying to the fact that you've made a decision that you are a son or a daughter of God. How does it do this? Well, the Holy Spirit quickens first your heart or causes us to reach the stage of gestation at which point we are able to begin to feel spiritual fetal motion in our process of being born again. Being born with perfect knowledge and the complete confidence that we are the children of God. Some of the greatest times of pregnancy are when you lay your hands on the belly and you feel the motion of the child that is growing inside. Sometimes it causes you to feel better about how uncomfortable pregnancy itself is. You begin to feel that life that is growing on the inside of you and it allows your mind to then begin to reflect on all of the possibilities that are being presented to you. And sometimes it will even take your mind away from the uncomfortability that you feel. And this is how the Spirit of God is in us, in our spiritual adolescence. God is moving in us, and sometimes if you take a moment and be still, you can feel the very presence of God moving in and around you like you can feel the kick of a baby. As a matter of fact, the Spirit itself seals or guarantees that we are the children of God. 
Look at your neighbor, tell your neighbor, neighbor. There is a guarantee that has no expiration date. When you buy something now, you have a guarantee that it's going to function a certain amount of time. But after the expiration date, if what it is you've purchased has broken, you are now outside of the guarantee. And then, because you're outside the guarantee, the creator of the object is no longer obligated to fix whatever it is. But the seal or the guarantee that we are the children of God is satisfied by the presence of God in our life. This is what the Bible declares, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after ye believed, you have to understand, you have to first believe it's not enough that Jesus came and died and rose again if you lack belief of what he's done. After that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of of his glory. The seal of God or the guarantee of God is that while we're in this earthen condition, we are still able to be the children of God because his spirit has been applied to our life and because it is applied to our life and we have believed. Look at your neighbor, tell your neighbor, you better believe. Belief goes beyond head knowledge. Belief is heart knowledge. I believe that first lady loves me. I don't believe it in my head. I believe it in my heart. If I only believed it in my head, I would have trust problems. I would always check up on her. I would open her mail. I would access her phone. I would go through text messages. I would look for apps that hide information because I'm technically savvy. I might even activate a GPS to track her location because I only have head knowledge of her love, not heart knowledge. And because I have head knowledge and no heart knowledge, I don't trust what it is she says when she says, I love you. So then I do everything I can to justify her statement. But when and because I have heart knowledge, I don't check First Lady's phone. I don't open her mail. I don't follow her. We have GPS on each other, but I don't sit there with my phone checking where her automobile is and if she's at work. 
I don't go spy on First Lady. Because I have heart knowledge of her love for me. And I understand that because she loves me, she's only going to do the things that are beneficial to our relationship. To show her care and concern for me. And I believe, I believe in that love. Many of us have problems believing in the love that other people say they have for us. Whether it's because of life or past experiences or the baggage that we carry. Many of us struggle with believing in the love of another. But what is at the core or the heart of the issue is, is that because we function like that in our natural relationships, we've been tricked into only really having head knowledge of the love of God, which is why many of us find ourselves struggling with our faithfulness to God. I don't have to struggle to be faithful to my wife because I love my wife and I believe not only in the love she has for me, but the love that I have for her. I don't love who I want her to be. I love who she is. First lady would be the first one to tell you there are things about her that I don't particularly like. She'd be the first to tell you there are things about me that she does not particularly like. But because of the love we have and the belief in that love, we're able to work through our differences without worrying about division or destruction of our relationship. Something else the Holy Spirit does, it bears witness that we are the heirs of God. It's not just so much that we're sealed for the promise of God, but we are heirs. That means that we have rightful succession. My wife has rightful succession to everything that I possess. If I die and my wife lives, she is an heir to my fortune. Everything I have, she gets. Sorry about all those bills. But she's an heir to it. That means she has a right to possess everything that I am. Well, the Holy Spirit bears witness or it records or testifies that we are the heirs of God. And if God is truly our father, then we have the right to possess what he has. So what is it that he has? 
uh, we, we're so focused on money, we, we miss the really valuable things that he has. We are heirs of eternal life. Because God is life, then I can live as long as I want and die when I can't help it. Because I'm an heir of what he possesses. There is rightful succession and transition of the things of God into my hands because I am a child of God. Titus 3 and 7 says it like this, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As a matter of fact, because life is eternal, because God is eternal, then in reality, I never taste death. And this is really going to blow your mind. You actually never die. Because I'm an heir of eternal life. So the elements that make up who I am then are not this flesh and blood. This flesh and blood has no life. You have to remember, in the beginning, when God created man, he formed man out of the dust of the earth. But after he was finished, think about all of the intricate things about the mind and the body of humanity. None of it was functioning until what happened? God breathed into man the breath of life then man became a living soul so then this which we call life this flesh and blood really has no life and since it has no life and my heir or what I possess is eternal life, then even if this natural body should go away, the truth is I've never tasted death. Because death, real death, is the absence of life. If life is God, and I became a living thing when God breathed God into me, then death is the separation of me and God. But I'm an heir because of the promise of God and the lineage I am bloodline connected to Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? Because I have been translated from death into life. So that I am the abundance of life walking. 
I am the essence of life. Walking. I am the power of life. Walking. I am the breath of life. Walking. Because I'm an heir to eternal life. Because God is life and I have a right to possess what he has. Now some would say that you can't as an heir possess what the person has that you're an heir to until they die. But we understand that in the story of the prodigal son, he went to his father and he asked his father to give him while his father was alive everything he was an heir or had the right to possess. And his father gave it to him. So an heir does not possess only after the death of the original possessor. We have to understand that we are also heirs of the promises that God made to Abraham. So what are these promises? Because they become then important in our current state of being. And that promise is that we inherit the world and to become the citizens of a great nation of people. Because the heirs of God shall inherit a great kingdom, and that is the new heavens and the new earth. This is what Paul says. Paul says this in Romans 4, 13 through 16. It's important that you understand this. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. It was not through <coughs> religious practice, ritual, dotting the I, crossing the T. That's not why the promise came. It's not through the law. But it is through the righteousness of faith or the right standing of your belief. Your connection to being an heir is right standing with how you believe or what you believe. Watch this. Paul, Paul, is, Paul is really awesome. He says, for if they which are the, of the law be heirs, If they which are following religious ritual have the right to heirship, right to possess everything of God, then faith or your belief is made void. This is the trick that the enemy is trying to push into the minds of the world today. That you have a right to God 
or to the things of God without actually believing in God. If you do certain things, you, you treat people right, take care of the poor. One of the founding theological beliefs of this person I was referring to earlier is that your works are what declare your faithfulness to God. And in a sense, he's right, but it's not your works that qualify you. It is your belief. Your works are supposed to be a representation of your belief. But it says, if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Watch this. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith or your belief that it might be by grace God's favor over your life to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So, we are the seed of Abraham. Watch this. We are the seed of Abraham. Prior to Abraham, there was no chosen people. You will not find the mention of Israel or the Jewish people prior to Abraham because there was no Jew prior to Abraham. We understand that we are Jews not by ethnicity, not by geological location, but by Christ. So we are then the seed of Abraham, and the seed of Abraham is not a seed that's based on your race. It's not a seed that's based on your ethnicity. It's not a seed that's based on your genealogy. It is a seed that is based on what Abraham did, and that was believe. God said, I count the faith or the belief of Abraham as righteousness or right standing. Righteousness is just right standing with God. Abraham was in right standing with God because Abraham believed in God. Now, there are three main monotheistic, that's the doctrine where there is only one God, religions in the earth. There's Judaism, there's Islam, and there's Christianity. And all three of these fundam fundamental religious beliefs claim to be the seed of Abraham. Judaism declares that they are the seed of Abraham after the flesh, <laughs> and that they are. Islam says that they are the seed of Abraham, tracing all the way back to Ishmael, and the fact is, they are. 
Now here we are as Christians, and the Apostle Paul tells us that those who are the seed of Abraham are not the seed after the flesh, but only those who have received Jesus by faith. Received Jesus by belief in Jesus. So the Jew then ceases to be a physical Jew, and the seed of Abraham is not a nationality, it's not an ethnicity, it's not a geography, it's not a policy, it's not your politics. It's only those who have received Jesus into their hearts because of their belief. Paul says that those of faith, you know that you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise of God because of your Belief, you've made a conscious decision to believe beyond what you see. This is why when my body is failing me, I can still believe that I am well and in good health because I am an heir to the promise of God and the promise of God is declared in his word that he is the God that healeth me. So that I am an heir, I have the right to possess the healing grace of God in my current physical sickness. I have to understand first that this body is already sick. It's dying every day. But my life is not made up of this dying body. It's the life that's in me that's allowing my body to function. Galatians 3.29 says this. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of God. Ephesians 3 and 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You have the right to possess what belongs to God simply because of your connection in heirship to God. That's based on your belief of God and because I believe in God and I believe in the things of God those things come alive in me and because they are alive in me the things of my flesh cease to control me we're not only heirs to life and heirs to his, uh, to his uh, promise through Abraham, we are also heirs of his glory. Ephesians 1 and 18 says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You have the right to shine bright like a diamond. 
because you reflect into all creation the glory of God. Rihanna had it right. I shine bright like a diamond. You have the ability to reflect the glory of God, not just into creation, but into your circumstance. What is the glory of God? It is light. What does most of our problems come from? The darkness that is in our humanity. And you have the ability to be void of your problem because you can transfer the light of God into your darkness. Because the Bible declares that light dispels or casts out darkness. Most of your frustrations and your response to frustrations are born of the darkness that is in your humanity. But when you believe in the airship of the glory of God belonging to you, you, because you reflect his, his glory, dispel your own darkness. And because you have cast out your darkness... You cease to function in opposition to the light of God. This is why I always tell you, if you find yourself consistently behaving in a manner that's not reflective of God, you have a heart issue. You have a belief issue. Knowledge and belief are not the same thing. Colossians 1 and 12 says, giving thanks unto the Father, which have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. Watch this. Of the saints in what? Light. All evil comes from darkness. But when God is on the scene, he brings light. And it casts out darkness. The Bible declares that in God there's no shadow of turning. There's not even some darkness. There is absolutely pure presence of light. The Holy Spirit also bears witness that we are joint heirs with Christ. Now that we're beginning to, to really comprehend who we are, which is so vitally important because the lack of identity will cause you to behave in a sporadic kind of fashion. When you don't know exactly who you are, you tend to behave erratically. Because you have no grasp of who it is, what it is you are. 
And because you lack that intellectual understanding of who you who your identity is, you don't really know how to reflect you into any situation, which is why many of us are spiritually schizophrenic. Many of us have multiple us's living on the inside of us trying to function at the same time in our life. And this is why sometimes we engage life like this. Sometimes we engage life like that. Sometimes we engage life like that. We consistently change in our deportment against life because we've lacked the intellectual understanding of who we are. The enemy comes to steal your identity so you can live out of control because your identity begins to define your borders. But now that we're beginning to understand who we are and what it is we're connected to, what we have the right to, our mind is healed because our hearts are healed. We're able to believe right. And before the physical body can be healed, your mind must be healed. What you believe determines what you are. This is how powerful your belief is. People can be born male or female, but believe they are the opposite gender of their birth. And because they believe that so heartedly, wholeheartedly, They will do anything possible to make them reflect that very belief, even to the changing of the physical body, where they go and even have surgical processes to make them appear like their belief. They let nothing stop them from fulfilling the wholeheartedness of their belief. But before the physical body can be healed, your mind has to be healed because what you believe determines what you are. If you believe that you are sick, then you will be sick. It's inevitable. From the moment of your birth, we started the process of physical death, but from the moment of being reborn again, we've begun the process of life. Because I believe 
in the life that is in me and I've understood or started to begin to understand that my life is not this flesh. I don't live because of the flesh. The flesh lives because of the life that is in me. And if the flesh then is living because of the life that is in me, then the life that is in me has the power to determine my desires. But when my thought process is not right, I live according to the desires of my flesh because I believe my life is my flesh. And whatever it is that's alive in me seeks to satisfy its own desire. So if my flesh is alive and my flesh is enmity against God, it cannot fulfill the things of God and my belief is wrapped up in my flesh, my flesh now identifies who I am, I respond to all of life by my flesh. In other words, everything that I do then becomes negative of God. I, I negate the things of God to fulfill the things of my carnal nature because I've determined in my belief that my life is wrapped up in this physical body which is enmity against God. My belief then denies the very presence of the power of God in me causing me to live in the first place. Isaiah 53, 3-7, I'm going to close right after this. It says this, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Uh, to properly understand this passage of Scripture, we must first examine the original text. Uh, I'm really pushed of God that you take to heart the things that I'm saying as these are things intentioned by God to reveal something to you that can change your very life. As a matter of fact, God gave me an instruction, a mandate. He told me to go heal my people from the sickness in their body that exists without just cause. God shared with me that he was going to show me something in his word that would heal his people. Because it is the word of God 
that heals you. Then God told me to teach this. Because too many are sick without just cause. God told me to teach you first and then lay hands on you that you might be well. Many of God's people do not yet understand the power of the mind and its influence over your life. Some of your minds have become corrupted by a virus and that virus needs to be eradicated in your thinking. God said with his word, he will heal you. And with his anointing, he will break the bonds that have been binding your body as a captive to sickness because of your lack of understanding of your identity. So when we take a look at the Hebrew text, we see two words, makab, which is translated sorrow, and choli or maladi, which are translated grief. However, later in the scripture, we see these same words again translated, but as sickness. So it is better translated this way. We can see this is a more accurate translation of what Jesus was talking about. He is more than just acquainted with various sicknesses. And he had more than just an ability to discern sickness and disease. Jesus actually became sickness in his body while he hung on the cross. Every disease, every virus, Every failed condition of your earthen existence was translated at Calvary from you to him. What are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? I'm saying you don't have to be sick. If you believe in what God has declared took place over 2,000 years ago for you. Everyone is afraid now of COVID-19. You hear someone cough, you're like, oh, hope they covered their mouth. Let someone sneeze. Oh, my God. What's wrong with these people? Why can't they stay home? Then you find yourself, you won't even go anywhere because you're bound by fear that you're going to catch This is the Arnold 
weekend. Big event in Columbus. Huge. It's huge. Huge. It has a financial impact on the economy of the city. And because of the fear that somebody might come who is infected with COVID-19, the coronavirus, they've shut it down. You, you cannot be a spectator unless you're related to the athlete or whoever is participating in the event. And now, the next major event in this city is March Madness. Not our madness, making a decision necessary for ever ever everlasting soul salvation, but March Madness, the basketball tournament. Millions of dollars. And they've already begun talks about shutting it down. Bound by fear that they may catch something for which there is no cure. Yet the flu is still killing more people than COVID-19. Driving your automobile is killing more people than COVID-19. Flying in an airplane is killing more people than COVID-19. Yet we continue to do all of those things. We have a lack of understanding of the power of sickness over the life of a believer. If the life of God is not in my flesh, when my flesh is afflicted, I still can declare the truth that I am well and in good health. What does the Bible say? Prospering as what? My flesh prospers? No, no, no. It says I am prospering as my soul, that's my spirit, prospers in God. The level of my prosperity is connected to the level of my belief in who I am in God. And when you begin to believe right, even when the physical body is afflicted, your belief can cause the length of your condition to get limited. where now viruses don't have the same impact 
they may come, afflict the body, but because of your belief of life that is in you and the fact that that sickness that's manifesting in your physical body was transferred to Jesus at the cross, I can declare that what is manifesting in my physical man is not mine to possess because I am Jesus. So then because I've accepted who I am in Christ, I have authority to command the body to reflect the healing virtue that is already present in me because my body is already dead. And the life I live, I live not by the power of the flesh, but by the power of God dwelling on the inside of me. As we examine what the writer chose to use in the Hebrew word Achan to lead off the fourth verse, this word is used in context of meaning firmly certain without any doubt what God is showing us and the entire Bible being the inspired word of God is without any doubt with complete certainty 2,000 years ago, Jesus carried away not just my spiritual sickness of sin, but my physical sickness, which is the result of sin. And because I am not sin, I am not a sinner. The results of sin that bring death have been removed from me. I am now the redeemed or the restored or the refreshed of God. Life is restored in my mortal body. And I'm free from physical sickness. I'm free from physical sickness. I'm free from physical sickness. Why? Because I'm not governed, controlled by a dead thing. I'm controlled by eternal life. Because I'm controlled by eternal life, I'm not afraid. I'm going to catch something. My wife, my sister is worse. My younger sister is worse. But my wife, big into disinfecting. Spraying down everything. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But she does that because she's doing a natural process to prevent 
being infected with a foreign substance. I accept who I am in Christ. And because I accept who I am when a foreign substance enters this natural body, I bring that foreign substance under subjection to the authority of the life that is allowing this body to function. So where she is preventative by nature, and some would say I am reactive by nature, I am of the understanding that should a foreign thing enter this body, just like a foreigner enters this land, when the foreigner comes into the land, the foreigner now has the right as if the foreigner was a citizen is governed by the laws of the land, has a right to the benefits of the land while they're in the land. So if a foreign thing comes into this natural body, then it falls subject to the authority that's causing this body to function. And if it rebels against that authority, it is subject then to the judgment of the power of the authority that dwells in me. This is why I know I can be well even when my physical body is corrupted with sickness because that sickness is subject not to man's medicine, but to my right standing, my heirship, my possession of what God is, and he is not sickness, he is life. And because of the translation of life into me and death from me into Jesus at the cross, everything negative of life or opposite of life has been expelled. What happens when a foreigner comes into the land and they don't obey the law? We expel them. So sickness then only has the right to work as long as we allow it. But we have the right to expel what is foreign because of the governmental rule of the power of life that is in us. I choose to believe, not head knowledge, but heart knowledge of the grace and mercy of God that is functioning on the inside of this mortal 
body. Bringing this body under subjection to the power of God. You can live bound if you choose. You can say in your heart that I'm just crazy. That what I've said makes no logical sense. That what I'm teaching you is so out of touch with your reality and reject everything that I've said. That is the amazing gift of choice. That you can reject truth and believe a lie simply because to you in your human condition it makes no logical sense. But let me remind you the things of God will never make logical sense to man. And absent the presence of God in your life, you will never understand the things of God or enjoy the benefits of your right standing in God because you deny your identity and you don't love him like you think you do. My wife does not have to prove that she loves me because I believe in the love she has for me. God does not have to prove that he loves me because I believe in the love that he has for me. And because I believe in it, I act like what I believe. I act like, I walk like, I talk like, I think like, I process information like I believe. The level of your freedom is connected to the level of your belief. The level of your prosperity is connected to the level of your belief. The level of your peace is connected to the level of your belief. I am because he is in me. God bless you.